Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Jesse Elliott from the Music District in Fort Collins, Colorado, has been scheming with me for a little while to be on this show. And so with the help of the Bohemian Foundation, the Music District was born to be, as he tends to put it, kind of a switchboard in a public library for music and music convening, that they look at the art of music, the business of music, and the community of music to support and create environments for creators in their community. Jesse talks about many things in this podcast, including his work with Richard Florida, work happening in other cities, and the surprises that they have had in building this community-driven and community-led endeavor. So please enjoy the Music District, enjoy Jesse Elliott, and think about how you might work with an organization like this in your community or that you might launch an organization like this in your community, can you learn from his experiences and the joy they've created in Fort Collins, Colorado? I am fascinated by what you're doing. And I find that most of the conversation about what in the world is happening in music tends to be major cities on the coasts, global stories, big artists. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, I was excited to meet you through the various music cities doorways. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what in the world the music district is and why it got started? Sure. Well, I, I am also fascinated by the work that you do, Gigi. So thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Um, yeah, I run this place called the Music District in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is a uh, little sort of college town. Not so little anymore, but it's about 170,000 people um, just north of Denver, about an hour we started it up here because there's a really interesting uh, organization called Bohemian Foundation located in town. Um, they put a lot of time and love and people and money and all kinds of things into music and, and particularly into contemporary and popular music. Who are they and why are they in Fort Collins? The Bohemian Foundation is a really interesting organization. It's a family foundation. It was started by a woman named Pat Stryker, um, who just has a deep love of music, among many other things, among community. There's, there's actually four program areas, global programs, uh, civic programs, community programs, and music programs. And the first three of those are sort of easily recognizable in the family foundation world, um, global, civic, and community. Uh, we in music programs are kind of the weird uh, stepchild or half-sister or whatever it may be uh, in the family foundation world anyway. Um, but it kind of ties into the, the bigger topics that I know you've been exploring a lot, Gigi, around music ecosystems and music cities. And um, really what it comes down to is you have all of these entities, whether they're local governments or state governments, uh, philanthropies, nonprofits, higher education, sort of like non-traditional players in the music industry who are getting into music, who have been getting into music for the last five or 10 or 20 years. Um, again, from a, from a kind of non-traditional, non-business oriented place, but more from a community oriented public good uh, sort of place. So 
Fort Collins, Colorado is, is where Pat lives and therefore where the foundation is located. And therefore that's uh, where the music district is too. We're just down the street um, in downtown Fort Collins. We have a little uh, five, soon to be six building campus and we do all kinds of crazy stuff here. What type of crazy stuff? <laughs> well, we divide our craziness into three uh, seemingly very neat and clean buckets uh, called the art of music, the business of music, and the community of music. Of course, all of those overlap quite a bit. Um, but the easy way to think about each of those three, uh, the art of music is is basically the creative development side, the artist development side. So that's the you know, songwriting workshops and rehearsal spaces and artist residencies, those are kind of things that we're, we're most familiar with in, in this world. Um, the business of music is what it sounds like. It's kind of the entrepreneurial incubator part of it. So once you've got this great uh, music that you're making, how do you get it out there into the world? How do you monetize it and market it and uh, hook it up to licensing and touring and all of all of that uh, sort of more standard uh, music industry mm -hmm. uh, world. And then the community of music um, is in some ways the biggest and the most amorphous uh, bucket because it really looks at what are all the other ways that music affects community. And so that's everything from um, convenings around particularly hot topics, you know, whether it's a workshop on the history of popular music and race and class in America, or um, we have cool nonprofits here that sort of work at the intersection between the environment or nature and music. Um, there's obviously lots of things that music has to do with uh, health and, um, you know, the urban landscape and community development and economic development and all that. So there's a lot in each of those three buckets, but that's kind of how we, how we divvy them up. So this is in the recorded space and live performance space and the teaching and learning spaces so that you have economic models that are intertwined with the people who work with you or that's up to the people who come and play to kind of hold those spaces themselves. Yeah, we, we really just kind of provide space and resources and networks for people. We, we don't get into business with people, if you will. We're not doing, you know, royalty splits with artists or, or, or sort of business deals with businesses. Um, we really are just kind of a facilitator. So in some ways, it's easiest to just to picture the place. You know, we have um, offices that we rent to music businesses and nonprofits. We have co-working space. Uh, where musicians and and small startups come in and work on their brilliant ideas. We have a, a really great uh, community radio station called KRFC that's on the premises. We have a couple apartments for artist residencies. Um, uh, we're going to have a new house that's dedicated entirely to artist residencies. That's top secret, Gigi. So make sure that uh, nobody. <laughs> You're hears telling this it podcast. to a whole bunch of people on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, that's fine. You can you can spread that around. Uh, we have really beautiful state-of-the-art rehearsal spaces for bands and DJs and solo artists. Um, we have a lot of multi-purpose event spaces. We have meeting rooms. We have lesson rooms um, for folks who are just getting started and for our, our instructor community. So it's really just this kind of um, multifaceted hive and, and we, we co-located all this stuff together. You know, a lot of this is, is kind of naturally occurring spaces in a community, but we wanted to put it all in one place so that it could bump into each other and, and sort of create those 
random and chaotic connections that we know are so crucial to creativity, to innovation, um, all that jazz. It's interesting because there's, I have been looking at a lot of the different ways this is happening in a lot of cities and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing companies come in now to say, hi, we're going to create this innovation space, but we would like a piece of your economics or we want you to pay mm-hmm. us money to come play or we want this as kind of an investment uh, accelerator program mm-hmm. to identify future high flyers. It sounds like you guys have a, a really different lens on this. Yeah, I mean we're we're a philanthropy. So so just at its nature, you know, we're oriented towards um, you know, essentially uh giving back to the community that that our founder loves so much and gets so much musical joy from. Um so yeah, but but we also we also work quite a bit with the kind of entities you're talking about. You know, sometimes people come to us we're, we're, in a sense, we're kind of this um, switchboard slash public library kind of model where people just literally walk in the door and say, hey, you know, I've been wondering how in the heck do I do fill in the blank? And sometimes that's a very nonprofit oriented activity around music. Sometimes that's a very educational or teaching activity. Sometimes it's artist development. They want to figure out how they can get better at what they do or connect with other artists. Um, and then sometimes that's, you know, they really are a great small business or a new artist who we say like, Hey, you should really be connected with, um, you know, tech stars music, or, uh, have you checked out the backline program in Milwaukee or have you thought about zoo labs in Oakland or whatever? So, so we really do connect with a lot of other entities that are set up a little bit differently. And, and, and I think it's why I love the concept of music ecosystems, um, in some ways, even more than music cities, although I, I like that concept too, but, uh, music ecosystems, I, I feel like there's space for everyone. It's, it is kind of the, the jungle analogy in the sense of you have the, the tall trees and, and the little ground cover and, and all kinds of different uh, plants and animals and weather patterns. And, and I think part of the fun for us is figuring out where we fit in best to all that. And sometimes we're not the place that someone needs to end up. We're just a sort of, you know, they, they come through us to um, our, our, our motto is find your place in music. And we really try to help people do that, whether it's with us or, or with other entities. So how many people are in your ecosystems? And I'll say plural, because you probably have the performer side of life. You have people who come to events. You have people yeah, who probably yeah. are even on the edges with things like food or wellness or other things that are, are uh, music embedded. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 like a true ecosystem, I mean, that stuff is very hard to count, right? We we know we keep pretty good stats on um, how many people kind of come in the doors and how many people come to our website and all, all the sort of basic analytics. But I think when you start talking about the more complex, more interesting ecosystem that you're referring to, it, it in some ways becomes uncountable, right? We 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 certainly interact with half the community here in Fort Collins um, in one way or another, uh, but then also we interact with these larger ecosystems in Denver and Boulder and smaller places across the state of Colorado because we do a lot of statewide work as well um, in tiny rural communities and uh, touring patterns between the coasts. And we, we kind of, it's, it's these sort of nested uh, Russian doll thing, right, where we keep fitting into a larger uh, uh, piece of the world. And, and we certainly connect uh, folks with, you know, here with people in 
Australia and China and Europe. And so I think it's a, it's a tough one to get your head around. Is that a good answer? Probably not. Oh, it's a great <laughs> answer. And, and it leads me to the question of how in the world you ended up here. Well, um, I was born in a, no, I, I won't go that far back. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, uh, I, I think, I think there's maybe three pieces of my, um, story that are relevant for the purposes of the music district. Of course, it always seems cleaner and easier to describe in retrospect than it actually is at the time. I've had that pretty, is life. We, I've had a pretty wandering backwards. <laughs> we narrate backwards. Life always makes sense. That's backwards. exactly right. That's Irmani, exactly right. Armenia work um, actually looks at that really well about how our working identity comes from kind of our linear storytelling backwards because it exactly. never makes sense going forward. Now you're a musician though, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I so one of these previous lives I had was a sort of a grassroots community um, organizer, I guess what you would call a creative placemaker these days, although we certainly didn't have that uh, term 20 years ago um, when I was in Iowa City uh, building this group with a bunch of friends that was called the James Gang. And we started a place called Public Space One and re really kind of at the intersection of the local artistic community, the university community, the business community, um, all these all these different folks. Um, through that, I met this uh, crazy Richard Florida character and I, um, I kind <laughs> of a fluke. You've met Richard Florida. Well, I worked with him for a few years. I so, did not know that. Yeah. 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 So, so, um, through a fluke and a very late, uh, night bar conversation till about 4am, Richard and I were on a panel together and ended up hanging out and, and just kind of hit it off. He's a very, uh, incredibly smart guy. People, people have, all kinds of reactions, pro and con, to his many theories and the many branches of his Can you theories. pause here and explain, first of all, when this was? Because he's gone through, at least from the outside, because I don't know him, a shift in uh, viewpoint and um, uh, impact of his work. When was this? And, and can yeah, you explain a bit about Richard's work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he's most well no known for sort of coining or popularizing the idea of the creative class, the creative economy. Um, of course, that wasn't entirely his idea, and he would never claim that. I think he knows that he popularized it and, and kind of spread it around the world a bit. Um, but we met right after uh, Rise of the Creative Class, which I think is still one of his best-known books. Right after mm -hmm. that had become kind of a national and, and international bestseller. And I, I had a writing background. Um, that's why I was at the University of Iowa. And he needed someone basically to help on a bunch of writing projects, so everything from books to articles for you know the atlantic and the times and and all those and uh some, a lot of speech writing actually which was really fun we did a lot of events and i was just kind of his right hand um creative guy he uh uh honestly he's always had all of the opinions that he has now sort of contained in parts of his work I, in my opinion it's been more an issue of what other people chose to focus on. So we've mm -hmm. always talked about, he's always talked about negative externalities of the creative economy. Um, that has become a greater focus of mm -hmm. his work in the last few years as it's become more apparent that, you know, people sort of got some of the rose knocked out of their glasses or whatever and realized like, oh, this crazy uh, creative uh, and destructive force called modern capitalism is not all uh, bells and <laughs> whistles and unicorns. Um, but but that's always been there in Rich's work. I mean, he came from a working class uh, immigrant family in Pittsburgh and is really has always been very attuned to 
in my opinion, to kind of all, all parts of society. And, mm-hmm. and really his creative economy work actually came out of a lot of his um, study of, of Japanese manufacturing systems, which is very much around, I mean, his, one of his basic tenets of the creative class thing was not that there was a special chosen class, but that truly everybody has great creative input. And that's what he got out of the Japanese manufacturing system. Um, and if you can figure out ways to unlock that creative input from all parts of society, uh, you do better. And that seems like a pretty common sense thing nowadays. But uh, when he first started writing about creative class stuff, obviously there was a little more um, hierarchical uh, kind of vibe going on. So well, people were looking into the work from my perspective on it, looking backwards, looking into the work as a political motivation to invest mm-hmm. in creative environments in That's cities right. yeah, to say, yeah. if we create these great environments for creative work, then our city will thrive because people will want to come live there and they will come want to come work there and we'll be able to compete effectively for talent and didn't then get to the second part of that, which is the, and then your community may gentrify, making it then difficult for those same artists and creators who are not necessarily in the coding class of the creative class to be able to live and thrive in this city. Absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. And with, without nerding out too much on the economics of all of it, we, you know, one of my favorite pieces we ever worked on, um, I think with the Atlantic was uh, this thing he did called the world is spiky, which was kind of a rebuttal to, um, was it Thomas Friedman did the yeah, world, the is, world flat? is flat? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Rich said, well, no, actually, if you look at the distribution patterns of wealth and influence and da da da, actually the world's incredibly uneven. Um, and, and literally mapped that in a few different ways, like on a sort of global visual map to show how, wealth and innovation and all that concentrate. Now, some people look at that and say, oh, that's cool. That's good. What I want to do is be one of those spikes. And (laughs) I think there was always an undercurrent in his work of like, let's be careful what we, what we wish for, because there's a lot of places that aren't the spikes. And eventually that's going to come around and, and, and bite us. Uh, And it has (laughs) in the last, in the last decade or so now. So um, yeah, I could, I could go on about that all day. I could too, but we'll we'll move. To, <laughs> so you were doing that, and you were then um, doing c- creative community organizing, and you were performing as well. Yes. Well, no. So then I, I was I was I'm just a glutton for punishment or something because I had this dream job with um, Richard and the crew, and it was really fun, and we met amazing people and traveled around the world and talked about great ideas, and and I I decided I was gonna cash that all in so that I could start a rock and roll band and go sleep on people's floors across the, uh, <laughs> you know, some people of- have sofas. <laughs> I've slept on a few sofas too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, Rich is a musician. He's a, he's actually a really good guitar player. So, uh, with his full blessing, I kind of, um, shipped off from home. This is when I was, uh, uh, living in Washington, DC, working with him. And um, I met these uh, other amazing musicians and we put together a little band called These United States, not to be confused with the presidents of the United States or any of the other uh, statesy sounding bands out there. <laughs> but uh, These United States went and played a bunch of shows all over and did a bunch of albums. And we did that for um, almost a decade. And then I ended up in Colorado and um, really getting into the work. So those three threads that I was referring to um, 
kind of came together when I met uh, some really interesting people here in Denver initially uh, who were doing, again, music ecosystems work um, around music as a public good. And that seemed like a very logical way to kind of tie together the, the threads of my interests and of my life story. Um, so I ended up doing a uh, helping to research and write the statewide music strategy for the state of Colorado for um, Governor John Hickenlooper at the time. And uh, then also uh, with my very dear friend, uh, Bryce Merrill, who I think you've run into at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, we also did the city of Denver's music strategy. And then that's the work that kind of got the attention of Bohemian Foundation. And they said, hey, do you two uh, crazy guys want to come up here and, and help us envision a music district. And we said, sure, what's a music district? And, and Bohemian said, well, we're hoping you can help us figure that out. So it was kind of another um, dream turn, I guess, in, in the whole narrative to, to be able to come work with really smart people up here in Fort Collins and, and put together, you know, this whole other entity. How you're in, um, you launched this in 2016? Yes. Yeah. We started working on it about five years ago, but it opened its doors to the public um, three and a half years ago almost. So what were your expectations and what were your surprises? Oh boy. Um, well, of course, everything is always harder than you want it to be in life, period. <laughs> um, so I think we we went through a lot of iteration. Luckily, we kind of had the blessing of the foundation to try out some some crazy ideas but you know we started very much in startup mode um granted you know relatively well-funded startup but um really with 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 a pretty loose organizational structure um and we've since kind of solidified that and made it look a little bit more like a like a good old everyday organization but um, there was a lot of a lot of tests of different stuff that we did, and a lot of we inv- one of the things that I love the most is that we invited a lot of community input from the beginning. So we did a ton of community led programming the first couple of years just to kind of see what the appetite was for the different parts of what we were interested in. And a lot of those community members, of course, became our really good friends and institutional partners and um, muses, if you will. And, uh, we still are very, you know, we're open to the public 40 hours a week. So we still get people coming in all the time, like a public library and saying, I've got a crazy idea. And we get to say, I bet we've heard crazier, but go ahead and (laughs) go ahead and lay it on us and let's see what we can do. Um, so I I think that's been the, the, the most fun experimental and experiential part of it is the fact that, you know, our, our team of 16 people here, also has just like this incredible creative reservoir to draw from in the local Fort Collins community, but also across the state of Colorado and and really across the world because we do host people from all over the country and from around the world here. Um, I started getting so excited that I'm not sure I answered your initial question. (laughs) Well, I asked if there were, um, what what kind of the journey was, but have there been any surprises, anything that worked really well you had no idea was going to, or something that you thought would be a slam dunk that wasn't? We we most recently, um, just in 2019, had this program called Ground Waves that was kind of a leap of faith. It was one, you know, the the how do I want to describe it? It was a hip hop focused 
um, artist development and mentorship program um, with a rapper named Murs, M-U-R-S. I recommend checking out his stuff. He's kind of a, a living legend, literally. Um, uh, and he had been around in L.A. Uh, during sort of the era of the Good Life Cafe, which was this... Um, legendary grassroots scene that birthed a lot of really a lot of that entire west coast hip-hop uh scene mers wanted to recreate something like that in little old fort collins colorado and um we kind of thought boy that let's see <laughs> let's see what happens and what happened was people just came out of the woodwork to participate in this he, he would come a few days a month we're going to do it again this year actually in 2020 um, but he would come a few days a month um, to do a sort of open mic that was styled after the Good Life Cafe, where people gave very direct, sometimes harsh, sometimes really loving peer criticism to people like in real time. So people are performing in front of their peers and they're immediately hearing feedback, not just from those peers, but also from this this legendary rapper, Murs. And then he would, but he would stick around town and he would mentor people and literally anybody who came to the open mic could sign up for an hour with MERS to just sit in the room that I'm sitting in right now in this beautiful blue, the blue room, we call it. It's our sort of largest rehearsal suite. And they could just talk with MERS about anything they wanted, um, whether artistic development, business development, um, you know, community and social issues. And we, we just didn't know what the appetite for it was going to be, but we thought the idea was so compelling and he's such a compelling artist that we went for it. And again, we had hundreds of people, participate and we sort of had to expand our initial offerings i mean we knew from the very first night we'd planned on this two-hour open mic event and it ended up going three and a half hours just for, and, and everybody can only do one song right so that's three and a half straight hours of one uh, mc one rapper at a time getting up and doing their thing and some of them had uh you know people came from all over the state of colorado they flew in from Florida and California and drove from Texas and this one guy came from Spain to one of them because it was just this offering that you know when else do you get to sit in a room with one of your hip-hop heroes and and interact in real time and get his feedback about it so um, that that was maybe the biggest um, surprise so far just in terms of not knowing what to expect and then MERS and our whole team here at the music district kind of hitting it out of the park um, so we're going to do it again in 2020. So you'll have to come visit. I will have to. I think I've <laughs> been to Fort Collins once and it was only a glancing blow. So I'll have to and do I bet, something about And I about bet you that. didn't hang out with Murs last time I did here. not hang out with Murs. <laughs> he, he, lives, he lives in your neck of the woods though, too. He's a, he's a, he's a LA guy. So yeah. There, there's a fair number of us. And I guess that brings me <laughs> to a question, which is talking about people coming there. And mm -hmm. uh, one thing that, we've been looking a bit at with a lot of frustration is artist migration that yeah. as environments are getting to be more or less friendly for healthy working environments for yep. artists that people are moving from city to city and it's not being um, robustly documented or tracked so that cities see what's happening or what mm. they can do. People come to Los Angeles without even thinking about it. We'll talk to young artists who come to town and they'll have no idea why they came other than they know they have to be here. Uh, no no pre-research, no thinking yep. about ecosystems. Yep. But I'm assuming that you, what you're doing is attracting people to migrate temporarily or permanently to Fort Collins? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a primary purpose of what we do, but it certainly is um, one of the one of the nice sort of side effects um, for because the music district is just one part of a larger, really cool music and creative ecosystem that exists here. So people are really moving from uh, from all over the country and in some cases around the world. Um, to Colorado in general. Colorado just seems to be, I don't know, a, a hot button kind of spot at the moment. Um, and we've seen a lot of folks from Nashville, New York, LA, Seattle, Austin, all the sort of traditional music cities have have come here um, in part because they can now, you know, work their craft or do their business wherever and they want to be near some mountains and some beautiful sunshine and some friendly laid back folks. And um and in part because it is a hair more affordable, although really the entire front range of Colorado, um, you know, from Pueblo and Colorado Springs and Denver up to Boulder and Fort Collins and even up to Laramie and Wyoming, it's really all gentrifying like any other sort of um, hotspot. Uh, so we'll see how long that lasts. We're trying to be smart about how we develop and not wish too much for 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 too much success and uh too much riches uh, in every sense because we know that that ultimately ends up driving out not just creative folks but you know working class folks and just people in general who make the community a vibrant interesting place to live right um, but I can go on about that all day too well let me ask a bit of a bridge to a, a bigger set of issues a lot of artists are finding in all these gentrifying communities challenges with the twin problems of healthcare and housing yeah as yeah. part of your work also to help with those areas for creators uh yes although we don't we don't do that super directly at the music district but like i said we're part of a larger you know bohemian foundation and then also just the larger community is really concerned especially with affordability right now um so we have been um, working a bit behind the scenes on on how to how to figure out that conundrum. That that's kind of all I can say for now. But I would say like there's not a single, as you know, Gigi, there's not a single uh, creative hotspot in the country right now that's not worried about affordability because it's mm -hmm. such a such a massive problem. Affordability and support for the affordability, right? So it, it's mm -hmm. one thing to have the funds for it, but also to have the resources and know where there's opportunities. Exactly. And, exactly. and you know, making I, bridges. And I would say that is a, a place where the music district is directly involved in. We really try to, uh, we see one of our um, missions as, as, as really helping musicians and creative folks understand the lay of the land and, and really think of themselves more as citizens and civic actors and, you know, people who pay taxes, although maybe not a ton of taxes because they're not making a ton of money, but we want them to understand what's going on and advocate for themselves and for each other and really find their voices, not just on a stage, but in those larger community conversations. So I am one of my many hats is as a university data nerd. Yeah. And as an good, educator. That's a good looking hat. <laughs> well, the question I have is, are you then working with local universities to um, pre and post test what you've done is an intervention, like the real nerdy way to put it. Are you, are you working yes. with local colleges to sort of document what you've done? Yes. The short answer is yes. We're, we're in the process of setting up. So like we, we've, our, 
strategy in general has been a sort of dive into projects and, and pilots and field tests and beta tests and whatever you want to call them before we get too hung up on extensive analysis and research. And part of that is just the orientation of our foundation. Uh, but myself and Bryce uh, Merrill, who I mentioned earlier, and really a lot of us on the team here, we actually all come from pretty heavy academic and let's say just uber nerdy backgrounds. So of course, we're, we're just really interested in that on personal and professional levels. But right now, the, the work that we do with the universities and including like the local community college and universities in Greeley, which has a, a world famous music school and Denver, which has an amazing you know, Music Cities program, you know Storm. He's a mm-hmm. good mutual buddy of ours. Storm um, Glore, absolutely. Storm Glore, most interestingly named man mm-hmm. in the universe. Uh, we work with all those folks on different programs, and especially we're, we're really beefing up our partnership with CSU, which is literally across the street from where I'm sitting at the Music District right now. Um, and we have this uh, kind of awesome guy. Do you know Michael Seaman? Does that name ring a bell at all? No, I do not. He's done. You should chat with him at some point and and have a serious nerd out. Um, Michael's done some really interesting academic work on DIY and grassroots scenes. So he did a lot of that in Denton, Texas, which is another sort of famous, um, you know, grassroots college music town, if you will. And he's at CSU across the street now. And so we're setting up some pretty cool um, research type projects over the next few years with him and with other folks in in Denver and, and elsewhere. So my last question um, has to do with somebody listening to this who then <laughs> is saying, I want to do this in my city. What would be things you would suggest that would be transferable from your learnings that other cities or, or community conveners could do? And what might be things you would suggest people look at before they move ahead with projects like this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of the most fun parts of this conversation right now, which is truly a global conversation, right? Like there, there actually are lots of places around the world doing some variation or another of what we're up to and and there's more every day so we just got to visit the new um it's called mercer music at capricorn studios in macon georgia and they just opened up a a music hub um similar to ours in some ways different in other ways but but same kind of public good orientation towards artist development and local scene development Um, and macon georgia is a place that's it's it's so similar to fort collins in so many ways and so we've, we've been swapping ideas with them for a long time um you know, I think the single biggest thing is is just genuine community engagement. And I think in the kind of philanthropic and nonprofit worlds that we work in, community engagement is just a super buzzword, obviously. Um, but I think if you, and I think a lot of people do it poorly. I think if you do it really well, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of sort of diplomacy and conversation and really, I mean, empathy, like really understanding what musicians and music businesses and a creative community go through to, to, to put this beautiful, magical thing out into the world for, for all of our benefit. And I think one of the things we did right here, uh, I'm sure we made plenty of mistakes too, but one of the things we did right was to spend about a year and change really doing community engagement before we even opened the doors to get a sense of what people wanted what they didn't want. Um, one of the biggest examples of that is, you know, we had originally slated a, a multi-million dollar recording studio to be at the music district as well. 
and we just talked with so many people in in the in the northern colorado ecosystem and and we you know we're looking at it sort of step back a, a bit and said god there's a really rich studio scene already like there's a great studio ladder you know people use the idea of venue ladders a lot like a small venue up to a gigantic venue um there's a really great studio scene here so everything from basement uh diy kind of setups to little mom and pop businesses to you know a world famous place like the blasting room that just celebrated its 25th anniversary and has made records for for people literally around the globe so so we nixed that idea because we we decided we didn't want to be the the accidental bumbling uh philanthropic giant that just drops a nice studio into the middle of this already healthy part of the ecosystem and then accidentally you know puts one or two of those out of business even with the best of intentions and and i think you see that a lot and i'm sorry for the long answer but i, I oh, really no. feel passionately that the community engagement piece done well is probably the single most important thing um i'll leave it at that for now well let me sort of ask that as uh, how it's part of your dna but for a lot of people it's not what what are the components of doing that well other than being an active listener and not telling everybody what they should be doing with whatever their problems are well that's the perfect summary of it is to be an active listener and not prescribe problems that you don't fully understand um uh some of it is just very like elbow grease kind of stuff some of it's really fun elbow grease like bryce and i would joke that we you know would meet with anybody in the community who touched music in any way which is a lot of people and we would meet with the vice presidents of banks or gigantic breweries at you know, seven in the morning or tech companies or whatever. And then we'd be hanging out at the, at the punk rock dive clubs at 2 AM. Right. So it makes for a lot of long days, a lot of delicious uh, coffees and beers and cocktails. <laughs> and, and, and I, 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 you know, all joking aside, it, it's the, the best way to meet with people is, is to break a little bread and, and whether that's actual food or drink or music or what you, you got to do something you can't just like sit in a conference room together and expect to get inspired input from people um so so we did a lot of that i, th I think one thing that we both and and our entire foundation um including right up to tom sharf who's our chief music officer what a cool title um, our, our CMO uh, is a musician himself, and one of the things that we all feel very passionately about is that you have to have musicians at the table in a meaningful way, or, or you know, fill in the blank for whatever kind of project you're, you're working on. If the point is to serve musicians, musicians have to be at the table. And Bryce and I would always joke that there were these kind of three levels of engagement in this kind of work, and the first level which honestly is where a lot of people get stuck is, is musicians as wallpaper, which is kind of like you make a strategy, you do a thing two weeks before the big public announcement that you have all the local politicians out for and stuff. Somebody realizes, Oh shoot, we haven't booked a band yet. And you go and find a band to play in the corner while everybody uh, sips on cocktails and talks over them. That's fine. That's better than there not being a band playing in the corner. And <laughs> hopefully it's a decent paycheck, but that's kind of the first level. And then there's the, musician or creative or artist whatever you want to call it as focus group which is you know we've got these ideas um let's go bounce them off people before we put them uh, in the world that's even better and that, that's really awesome but i think the the deepest level is this musician or creative as leadership as as really a true voice at the table and i don't mean leadership in the sense of being in charge of something i just mean they really are a part of 
creating that vision like from the get-go and hopefully they're getting paid for it and they're not just doing it as as volunteer time because that happens a little too often as well um, but I think that's where you start um, breaking through to some more interesting ideas is when you really engage the, the the creative skills of musicians are so translatable across so many fields of life and work and and I think if you can get them at the table and not just at the table, but in the club and in the rehearsal room and really designing and creating that that's the ultimate uh, engagement. Well, Jesse, this has been a great conversation and we are nearly at the end of the oh, chat. <laughs> Is there anything that we have not mentioned that you want to share with our listening audience? Well, I'm glad you asked Gigi. I've prepared a short uh, monologue. Uh, <laughs> Maybe about 18 minutes. Excellent. Everybody just wants to sit back. Uh, no, I, I think I would just say, you know, to your previous question on a really practical level, you know, if you're thinking about this kind of work, come visit us. Um, we love having people here. We love showing them what we're about. And we have apartments to put visitors up. Um, as long as everybody doesn't email me all at once, uh, we can put you up and hang out for a day or two in Fort Collins and kind of show you around our music ecosystem. Um, to that end, we are uh, co-hosting Fort Collins and Denver are co-hosting the next big Music Cities um, 2020 uh, convening. So, so this group Sound Diplomacy that we all know goes and, and puts on these convenings all around the world. And in September of this year, so I think it's September 23rd through the 26th, um, Music Cities Colorado will be happening. And we're going to have, you know, three or 400 of our best friends from around the world come and talk about all these things at length for for three and a half, four days. And we're going to throw, it, it coincides with our big anniversary party every year at the music district, which we call the surround sound bash. So we will not just be talking about fun ideas. We will be living and enacting them and everybody should come hang out with us and uh, do the same. I expect to see you out here at least. Gigi. I've been invited. Stormall actually invited me early on to come out. So Oh, good. Good, good. All part of the mix. If someone does want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, you can just drop me a line uh, directly. It's jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at themusicdistrict.org. jesse at themusicdistrict.org. Um, yeah, I love email. So drop me a line. <laughs> Just make sure it's like really profound and inspiring and interesting. Excellent. Well, thank you for being profound and inspiring and interesting and joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having this awesome forum. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've told you that before, but I listen all the time and uh, I can't wait to listen to myself now. Oh, it's going to be surreal. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Gigi. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Merrimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. 
If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.